Hi, everybody. It's Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Made Radio. Hope you're doing well. So Mike and I went on a distance date. We both went <laughs> to see Jurassic Park and... Um, Jurassic World stuff. Jurassic, Jurassic World. World. Sorry, Jurassic... <laughs> So Jurassic Park 20 years ago. Went to see Jurassic World. Uh, I actually went to see San Andreas yesterday. I haven't seen a film in, I don't know, like six months. But oh, and it was Fifty Shades of Grey with the last movie I saw. You know, the bullets I take for philosophy. I uh, went to see San Andreas, uh, which is, uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that the earthquakes were real, but Dwayne Johnson is CGI. That's my <laughs> thesis because it looks like uh, a bunch of piglets wriggling under his, uh, <laughs> under his shirt where his biceps should be. But... Um, so, uh, but not, not a huge amount of philosophical content in San Andreas, other than, of course, the endless egg-defending male disposability, um, which is always uh, fun to watch. But uh, I think that there was more philosophical content in Jurassic World. Mike, what did you think of the movie? It's a wonderful series of intelligent people, supposedly intelligent people, making horrifying decisions in ways that... Uh, wouldn't happen in any economic climate that makes any sense to human beings presently. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> I, I love um, Simon Mizrani, who's the, the guy that owns a park and also has many business claims. He uh, takes a helicopter ride where he is a pilot aiming for his pilot's license. And he tells one of his associates, uh, Claire, who plays a big part in the movie, when she starts talking about the 3% profit that they've made in the recent quarter, how that's, you know, don't worry about it too much. It's it's not really about money. Fundamentally, it's about a bigger mission that we're doing here. It's and about then, making us feel small, which, which <laughs> coincidentally, the IMAX screen I went to had the same effect on me. I'm looking into the brain of God himself. It's full of dinosaurs. Anyway, sorry, go on. <laughs> Well, and then I was it 10 minutes later in the movie where uh, they say, OK, the giant Indominus Rex has escaped. Never mind the fact that there weren't double doors on the exit pen and there was just one gate that it could escape through. Never mind the fact when we couldn't find the thing, we go, hmm, what would a rational individual choose to decide in uh, that type of situation? Should we, I don't know, make sure the sensors are working properly? No, no, we won't do that. Should we, I don't know, maybe go to the top of this thing? Is there a watch? Tower? Are there cameras? Maybe maybe, maybe dangle a, bit, a little bit of food. Up. You know, if anything jumps out and bah, right. Are there cameras, motion sensors? Are there any type of you know electronic wires on the top or sense anything? No, no. We, what we need to do is we need to enter the cage with this <laughs> incompre incomprehensibly evil animal. Um, <laughs> just enter the cage. You know what could possibly go wrong with that? And uh, of course, things do go wrong, and it escapes the cage. And uh, as it is. About to pillage and plunder and kill more people. Um, Chris Pratt's character, Owen, says, Okay, we have this weapon. Why don't we load it up on a helicopter and just take the thing out? Then uh, Ms. Ronnie, despite earlier not being too concerned about profit, concerned about a bigger mission, says, I got a lot of money invested in this thing. This is a million-dollar asset. $26 million <laughs> they've got invested in this dinosaur. So suddenly now it's all about the Benjamins, right? Right now, he's making the economic calculation that he's worrying about $26 million. Never mind if this thing gets close to the people visiting the park. Or We already killed, at that point, I think, one security guard, and many more were incoming. So got to think of the lawsuits happening there. $26 million versus the possible damage. Not a very wise economic calculation for someone who's apparently a very astute businessman. But, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Can I There's also lots say, of incomprehensible I, decisions in this movie. As, as a guy who's <clears throat> run a business and is, 
you know, not a stranger to rational economic calculations. Um, you know, when you start, you know, the, the woman, what, what's, her, what's her name, Bryce? Dallas Claire. Howard's. Claire was. Claire. So Claire is like, well, you know, we've got profits, we've got marketing, we've got losses, we've got expenditures, we've got, you know, like the stuff that you need to actually <laughs> make some money. And he's like, ah, just look into the animal's eyes to see if they're happy. It's like, how the hell did you end up being in charge? Like the, the dinosaur whisperer here who can do some sort of weird Vulcan mind meld with cold-blooded animals. It's like, what do we need with facts? We have our gut instincts to guide us. It's like, I hate people like you. <laughs> Yuck. Oh, can I also mention? Well, and people like that don't hire people like Claire either to no. be involved in their no. business. Or keep anyone safe on the planet. I also like, uh, I think that's the same guy that the, the, I don't know, he looks Japanese, like I'm a big differentiator of these things. But to me, whenever the cold-eyed Japanese guy shows up in the lab, bad things always happen <laughs> after that. You know, I just, I think he's the same guy who was there uh, at the, in the first Jurassic Park. But uh, mm -hmm. uh, I, I thought that was, uh-oh, uh oh no, Japanese geneticist is around <laughs> and thus ended the planet. Oh, this, the subtle or not-so-subtle hints against anti-anything GMO were ever-present throughout the movie. The dangers of GMO. Yeah, I mean, I'll take my chances with an ear of corn that can resist disease because that can't swallow me whole. But um... Now, a 50-foot-tall ear of corn that can climb over a fence and is a clever girl, to go back to the first movie. Uh, no. <laughs> Let's not go with that. But I... Um... <clears throat> I thought that, well, sorry, if, if there's another theme, I have one that I was sort of puzzling out on the way back from seeing it, but I don't want to interrupt if you're in a roll. No, go for it, Seth. Let's hear your overall theme. All right. So there is a movement in the world called Men Going the Wrong Way, which is men who don't want to get involved in, in marriage and reproduction because of the dangers of women plus government, uh, plus family courts, plus giant lawyers uh, powering up ungreased dildos and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and... This Chris Pratt seemed to me along those lines. He was like an alpha, but he was out of the breeding pool, right? He was just doing his dino thing and, and you know, he'd, he was an alpha, as they referred to him as an alpha for, for the way he trains the raptors. Spoilers! Anyway, but um, <laughs> so he seemed to me like uh, this MGTOW guy, he, there was only any indication that he dated Claire once and they only had one date and it never worked out and he went back to living out in a shack in the middle of nowhere, semi-ghosting himself and uh, deciding to become the leader of the raptor pack. And the Claire was, you know, this, this uh, single-minded, feminist, career-driven woman who... Workaholic, yeah. And she calls her sister and she says, you know, well, if I have kids and the sister says, when, it's worth it. And then the sister says, like Claire says, if, you know, the workaholic or whatever. And so I thought that was interesting. And there was echoes of this in the, in the first one as well. Learning to love breeding. Uh, I think that is um, huh. kind of the story of the film in a lot of ways. Because what do they say at the very end of the film? Uh, the, the Owen turns to Claire, right, the lead character, and, uh, turn to each other, and, and, and she says, what comes next? And he says, you know, we cling together or we join together. I don't remember the exact line. We cling together to survive. And I thought that was like a not-so-subtle jab, which is saying, you know, feminists and men who are on strike will get together in times of extreme danger. <clears throat> and that sort of struck me about what I've talked about for years is, you know, the financial 
mm, apocalypse slash readjustment slash crash of, of fiat currency scenario is going to um, cause people to need to cling together. Communities that have dissolved will have to reinvigorate themselves. Men and women who've drifted apart for various uh, ideological and practical reasons will probably end up coming back together because it didn't strike me as... Um, it struck me as, as very telling that the woman gave up a lot of her feminism and was willing to be sort of led by the man in a time of danger. And the man gave up his, you know, living in the middle of nowhere, tinkering with motorcycles to protect women and children, that in a time of sort of great danger, there was a reversion to somewhat more, you could say, traditional roles or whatever. And um, the, the film, of course, starts with eggs and ends up with... <laughs> Well, men and women need to get together in order to to survive. And, you know, I think deep down in everyone's brain, at least those of us in the West, uh, we recognize the degree to which the demographic winter is a massive and huge problem for the future of uh, at least Western civilization that, you know, there's this, this wildly underrepresented breeding rate uh, among uh, Europeans, Western Europeans. And um, I think that this sort of interesting that it starts with this egg and there's this stability. And in that stability, in that calm world of, of profits and, and spreadsheets and calculations, the women can afford to be cold and feminist and I don't take orders from no one kind of thing, right? And the guys can, you know, be off playing with their raptors, which to me is sort of a metaphor for video <laughs> games. They're off playing with their, well, and other things, <laughs> but they're off playing with their raptors and they're not getting involved in the business of, say, making new life for the future. And then when everything falls apart, when there's danger and chaos and collapse and, and all of that, then men and women come together uh, to protect children, to rely on each other, and they both brought different strengths uh, to the... Um, uh, just spoiler again, right? So, so clear at the end. In order to fight the, what is it? You had the name for that, Invincibus Indominus Rex. Rex. Indominus, Indominus Rex. Rex. <laughs> Worst porn name ever. But anyway, <laughs> um, but uh, she. Um, this sort of struck me of uh, a woman is is uh, out of options and and needs to fight, and so she unleashes the Tyrannosaurus Rex. Sort of reminds me of Family Court, but that could be a whole other <laughs> other discussion. But um, they, both, both people find their strength and they find their reliance upon each other and they find the joys of uh, taking care of children. And at the end, they say, well, we need to cling together. We need to, to be together. We need to, to survive. And um, I, I don't know. I just I thought that was kind of interesting because I, I do think that gender roles have become really ideological and reactionary in this illusion of infinite plentitude that we have as the result of just printing money. Like a, like a fire hose prints water. And I think that when, when we hit the limits of um, what our economic house of cards can sustain, that gender roles will switch significantly. Uh, in other words, there's this vanity, pomposity, distance, and avoidance that's going on among gender roles as a result of this st the pseudo-stability and pseudo-plenty. And when that hits the wall uh, and when there's chaos then I think that we will find a ways of appreciating uh, each gender in, in much more positive ways. I don't know if that makes any sense to you, but that's sort of what I was thinking of. You know, it didn't even dawn on me that the movie started with eggs and it ended with what comes next as uh, men and a woman were embracing. Uh, that's, a, that's a hell of a theme to pick up on. I, yeah. I, well, and, and 
one other, sorry, I just asked you your thoughts, but one other thing just to, to sort of shore up that. So there's a scene, the, the, the young kid actor with like the Chia Pet hairstyle, he's great. Um, and, Gray uh, was the character name. Gray, right. And um, yeah, like, like the last movie I saw. Anyway, um, but... Uh, <laughs> plus heli- no, it's equal amount of helicopters, but less bondage. <laughs> uh, right, <laughs> right, right, right. And, and of course, he was great at flying helicopters because abs. But... Um, <laughs> Um, so they're in uh, a monorail, I think, and the the little kid Gray uh, reveals that he knows that his parents are are getting a divorce, right? And there is stability in the home life of the the kids who the mom and dad send off to uh, to Claire, right, to to take the to the aunt to take care of, and. There's a bit snappy at the airport. I don't even know what he said, but she's like, why do you have to say things like that? <laughs> Way to listen, honey. But um, the kid's saying, oh, they're getting a divorce. You know, they're getting letters from separate lawyers. I Googled them. They're divorce lawyers. And the older boy who's, you know, obviously going to go massive MGTOW and go in his own way kind of stuff or at least go to men's rights is uh, saying, who cares? You know, all my friends are divorced. It's nothing unusual. It's nothing, you know, who cares, right? Mm. He's got the cynical shell and this exterior, whereas the younger boy, uh, well, first of all, is crying like crazy. And then the next moment we see him, he's madly excited because holographic dinosaurs like, oh, OK, well, maybe my family is falling apart completely and my childhood is an end and everything gets worse from here. But digital teeth. <laughs> so um, that's again, that's just the kind of thing a director who had a sense of the human would <laughs> would deal a bit more. With. I, you know, it's just sad when there's better characterization and acting from the CGI than there is from the, the, the wetware, so to speak, the people. But there's this, you know, everyone's getting divorced. Uh, and this, is, of course, is why I would imagine Claire and Owen, the two main characters, are like, well, I don't know, why the hell would I want kids? You know, you, you have some kids, you get married, and you're just going to get divorced, and things are going to go to hell in a handbasket. I mean, and, and the mom, the mom of this kids, her sister is saying, oh, it's so worth it. And she's Gonna get divorced. <laughs> She's saying, Oh, it's so worth it. It's like, ah, I mean, what a horrible, lying, false trap. But, and this isn't explicitly mentioned at the end of the movie, but I got the sense that after their kids were almost eaten by a giant commu- computer simulacrum, that bring the family back. They weren't gonna get thing. divorced, right? Like, oh, you know, now it's put everything in perspective and we're not. So, again, danger causes marriages to strengthen danger causes communities to strengthen danger normalizes and danger is is obviously a very extreme way i don't want people to be in danger but limits normalize the um the relations between the genders and and limits strengthen marriage and a lot of this wild excess that we have from money printing and borrowing like crazy is dissolving the need for the necessary bonds of community and marriage and i just was really interested because i mean Chris Pratt, I've never seen him in a movie before. He's really good. I mean, what a presence. What a uh, um, what an alpha. And not like player alpha, you know. He's not like, <laughs> got to do my sit-ups to get to chicks. You know, he's not giving her insulting half compliments, <laughs> you know, in order to throw her off balance so he can grab her tits or anything. I mean, he, he really is like a very strong uh, and confident and... You know, I guess I've just saw Dwayne Johnson and then Chris Pratt. It's like, wow, two guys who are really genuinely allowed to be guys. Uh, and that's kind of 
fascinating, I think. You know, both family men, both really concerned with their kids and all that. Um, and that seems kind of a little bit new. Uh, I mean, it's old in a lot of ways, but it seems kind of new. But what did you I don't think know if of, we could, of Chris Pratt? I don't know that we could say his character was a family man concerned with kids. You know, he was living the single bachelor life. And yes, at the end, he was together with Claire. But I actually found uh, him and Claire getting together at the end to be a little disappointing, considering their first interaction, she was making fun of him and kind of talking down to him. And then she's like, I need help. And he's like, oh, eggs. Okay, I'll help. Sure, I'll come after a giant dinosaur with you because you asked me too nicely, even though you're previously kind of mean and callous towards me. Sure, I'll come after you. And uh, <laughs> But at least they'd had a date. Remember the British guy in the... Um... Uh, in, in San Andreas, the British guy who uh, just meets that woman for like 10 minutes. And then he's like, sure, I'll rush into the basement of a collapsing building because <laughs> those were some sparkly eggs down there. And, you know, I mean, that's like, man, Tinder. I'm telling you, you don't have to, you know, streams. And then in that movie that the, the, uh, the mom, do you remember? You left her. You left her. If you're not dead already, I'll kill you myself. You know, this like. What do you mean you tried to preserve yourself? Can I just say one other thing about San Andreas? That <laughs> Please just do. before we move on. Um, you know, when it comes to fixing the planet after giant earthquakes, I think that I would rather have an architect than a 20-year-old girl who doesn't seem to have any particular skills whatsoever other than those she saw her dad doing. But uh, that's just me. I, the architect for rebuilding? Be kind of helpful. Just a point uh, that it may not be that. And, and there is this, uh, I've read this sort of in the manosphere that, uh, guys uh, are, are looking at this this situation where, you know, the, this guy saw this woman being attacked. And so he rushed to help her and he got stabbed and died. And, you know, there are a lot of guys saying, we're done with that stuff. Mm. Well, that's you know, kind like of if what I see a woman getting attacked, maybe movie. I'll call the cops, but I'm not going in. Sorry. Well, that's what Owen was doing in this movie, Chris Pratt's character. Um, you know, she pretty much batted her pretty eyes and he followed after her despite the fact that she had been really callous towards him and it's from like being a why was he attracted to her was it her values well no she was kind of mean to him and she's the type of person who would abandon her uh her nephews to her assistant when they haven't seen them for three to four years you know not someone that's uh seven you know strikes seven. me as a pillar of virtue was it seven years it was a long time it just not someone that struck me as a pillar of virtue total workaholic but, you know, he was open to dating her once, didn't work out, and then she needed his help, and he just jumped. You know, it's, I get it, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, you end up together at the end of the movie, why are you attracted to her? Because of eggs. I get it, but not exactly because of any qualities that she's displaying. Despite the fact, I will say, I, I would be severely attracted to anyone that was able to outrun a T-Rex in a high heels while carrying a giant flare over their head. That does require some talent. <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe we have a testable scenario the next time we're together. Something we can, we can really, I'll be the T-Rex. You put on the high heels. Um, well, here's another thing, too. Before uh, Claire, the spoiler, everybody, the big closing scene is, you know, uh, Chris Pratt's character, Owen, and the two boys are pretty much holed off as the Indominus Rex is tearing everything apart and going after them. And she gets the idea, all right, how are we going to take down a giant dinosaur? How about with another giant dinosaur? So she runs over to the T-Rex cage exhibit and then orders the guy in the command station to open the door. And he's kind of resistant, you know. <laughs> he's one of the few reasonable people in the movie. He's like, okay, so we have this problem of this giant dinosaur tearing apart 
apart the exhibits, tearing apart the entire park. We have lots of people, families, 20,000 people, I think they said at one point. No boats to get them off the island. That's a great idea. I'm sure no insurance company would have a problem with that if this exhibit actually existed in the real world. And uh, he's, he's a little resistant to unleashing the T-Rex. And she's like, oh, come on, be a man. And for once in your life, she just pretty much puts him down and calls him a coward, you know, for not immediately opening this cage because she jumped up and said to do it. So then, of course, he does what most men would do and presses the button and open the cage because a woman told him. Well, it's it's the wonderful two syllable uh, one, two of man up, conscience down, man up, judgment (laughs) down, man up, integrity down, man up, common sense down. But eggs are commanding me. I have no choice but to obey. Eggs in oh, control of my limbs. They completely emasculated the control room guy as well earlier in the movie where he tried to, uh, you know, in the moment of danger and everything, I guess his, his crush on one of his co-workers and uh, she just kind of put him down and I have a boyfriend. Away slowly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But if Chris Pratt came on to her, that might have been a bit different. But uh, and anyway, uh, so then she lights up flare and the t-rex follows her as she runs from the t-rex to try and lead them to the indominus rex somehow she's able to outrun a 50 foot tall dinosaur whose sway of step is uh, significantly more than hers in high heels somehow she can outrun this thing and then she chucks wait i don't i don't i don't believe the t-rex was in high heels unless i missed that although that would be cool <laughs> i'm sure there's a fetish site somewhere on reddit about that High-heeled T-Rex in the rain. <laughs> well, if the T-Rex was in high heels, maybe then it would explain why she was able to outrun it. You know? <laughs> yeah. And, and how, like, I can't watch women walk down the street from, like, one block to another without having heels torn off in a subway grate. But apparently you can march all the way through a giant jungle and get into unbelievable fights and all that and, and drive like a maniac. And your heels, like, what are they, just pure titanium and, like, whalebone or something that just completely uh, survive no matter what. But um, it's yeah, I, I is something else that we've talked about uh, in particular with the Frozen movie a while ago, whereas, you know, here's the guy, former Navy, I believe, Chris Pratt's character and, uh, you know, kind of somewhat military background and really competent been working with these animals. And he's holed up and trapped and completely, completely uh, at the mercy of Indominus Rex. But the person that's been working with spreadsheets and business calculations in high heels is the one to come up with the plan to save everybody. I don't know. It's uh, I, I want to put my money on the guy with the military background coming up with the plan to save everyone over her. But yeah, I mean, she doesn't spend any time with the dinosaurs. He's been working with them for years and training them. You'd think that he'd know a little bit more about how to how to keep them safe. Um but that's that's the way it could see. And this is because this is politically correct. Right. So mm-hmm. if you have a woman who's like uh, the, the pretty funny scene where she like ties her shirt and rolls her sleeves up, and it's like, I've now been transformed into Xena, the warrior princess. <laughs> no, you haven't. But um, this is the way it works is that that they you know, if the woman has been running in high heels while the man drags her around and saves her. It, it, it's something that simply has to be done that you then have to have her empowered at the end. Like you have to have it balanced out. It's got nothing to do with character or reality or truth. It's just, I wish to avoid massive criticisms of sexism. Mm. So I'm going to have a woman behave in a stereotypically needs to be, the taming of the shrew needs to be broken by reality, experience, truth, <laughs> danger, uh, and general incompetence in the face of the unknown. 
Um, you have you you know that's the but then at the end ah but she saves everyone so get off me feminists <laughs> right I mean I think that's just natural in, in movies it was the same thing in San Andreas where the woman dressed to drive the boat through the mm-hmm. um, uh, through the window and all that I mean just it, it, you simply have to do that otherwise you open yourself to criticism of oh there was some feminist uh, criticism of the latest Avengers movie as well for that very reason because one of the characters was a. Uh, the romantic relationship was a big plot point, and they thought that it wasn't a strong enough character. Or uh, you can read those criticisms if you want, but the the person that was being criticized is one of the people behind Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which you can't possibly have a more strong female oh, lead. Josh Whedon, tried. Right? Yeah, oh, yeah, Josh Whedon. So the name is. Yeah, good, I mean, but, uh... <laughs> it, it's so you know I, I can look at Darth Vader without feeling like, well, what are they saying about men as a whole? That if we all have giant mushroom heads and stick ourselves into giant black dildo suits that we're all like, I mean, this is the sad (laughs) thing is like you can have a weak and pathetic female character without saying that all women are are weak and pathetic. Like you can have a guy in a movie who's a drunk and nobody says, oh, you're saying all all men are drunks? Mm. Like it's it's just – because because sanity, because perspective, because an understanding of art, because, un, you know, you can put a, a pathetic, whiny, dependent, annoying female in a movie and this does not represent all women. I'm not going to openly say what percent it does uh, of feminists, but it does not represent all women. You can have a mean, vicious, a horrible, unsympathetic, selfish female character and and this is not saying anything about all women because otherwise like you have this weird thing where if you say something about one woman you're then saying something about all women which is this weird collectivist idea which doesn't allow women to be in the bell curve of good and bad you said it better than uh <laughs> you said it all there so oh. we but t- but people will people will get bored of this like one thing that human beings crave is um originality and novelty and i think this movie gave me great hope that we might be at the end of the arc of women are tougher than men women are smarter than men men must take years to develop skills but women get them because uterus and and i think that we might be at the end of this arc and hopefully we're we're coming back to something uh, a little bit more sensible and uh, I, I do think, again, I mean, you know, Greece is, is like the IMF just broke off negotiations with Greece. Uh, um, England is going to vote to dump the euro um, in 2017. And, you know, there is this sense that the ice around us is breaking up as a society, that where we are is wildly unsustainable. And it's not like in 50 years there are going to be problems. I mean, the problems are imminent. And I thought that was very interesting. I think that they picked up that zeitgeist in the movie as they did in san andreas where it's like okay enough of the kevin smiths we're gonna need some heroes because shit's gonna hit the fan mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting you say the movie gave you hope that that style of thought is gonna be nearing its end i i didn't pick up on the egg thing and i didn't pick up on the you know in the event of danger we all get together at the end and uh you know can maybe have some gender egalitarianism for once well, she didn't. She didn't need any men when she had the illusion of control, and yeah. then when the reality yeah. of the lack of control hit, you know, the, the dinosaur of debt escapes from the Fed, or you know, whatever, however we want to put it. When the illusion of infinite 
resources ends, then women are going to need men and men are going to need women. Now, mm. what I've argued, is, as you've known for many years, is that it'd be nice to get an apology, right? Like if I were the writer, right, I would shock everyone and that would be a very talked about scene where you have the woman say to the man, I'm so incredibly sorry. I was such a bitch to you earlier. Uh, I, you were right. I was wrong. You said don't send those six guys in who get mown down and she barely even blinks, right? All she's worried about is mm-hmm. the stock price. And um, Yeah, there wasn't uh, any semblance of an apology in there at all. No apology. For any of these I, bad I, decisions, which occurred pretty frequently throughout the film. Yeah, I mean, if somebody said to me, don't push that button or six people are going to die, I push the button and six people die, and then that person helped me? I like I'd be on my knees sobbing and wailing with apologies and gratitude but it's okay you see Mike because her hair got tousled and so <laughs> that's very similar to an apology in no place ever <laughs> but wouldn't yeah, that be great for her to say you know I I insulted you I treated you like crap I didn't listen to you this all could have been avoided if I'd only listened to you but this of course is women with men's rights activists or anybody who's sensible about the defense of the interests of men I mean we we need those apologies you know I I would say uh to to men uh hold out for those apologies you know I mean we need men need this big giant massive cultural apology from from everyone uh when the shit hits the fan uh where it's like okay we need you in case of emergency. Break, break alpha cage. Guys, we need you. Women and children are in danger. And they're like, where's our apology? Where's our apology for saying that we're patriarchal pigs for like the last 50 years? Where's our apology? Where's our apology, women, for, for saying, we don't need men. We've got the state. Oh, is the state out of money? Shit, we need men again. Let's pretend that nothing happened. Let's pretend we didn't insult them. Let's pretend that, and let's just, eggs, children. <laughs> Security, safety, come on. And and I think men should be like, still waiting for the apology. Still waiting for the apology. Maybe I'll help. First, we need the apology. You know, it's funny you mentioned the in case of emergency break glass thing because they were having problems with the Indominus Rex and that you finally figured out like, maybe we should have Chris Pratt's character take a look at it. He seems to be competent to know what he's doing. So after all these problems, after they've bred this thing, after it's grown to 50 feet tall, after it tries to escape its cage, after it tries to figure out where the food is coming from. After it breaks the glass of its containment unit, they go, let's find the competent guy that seems to know something about how these animals work and uh, see what he thinks. And then he proceeds to list half a dozen things that they did incorrectly from the get-go to now make the animal completely crazy and aggressive. Yeah, it also might (laughs) have been helpful if they go hunting him with raptors to to mention that he's half raptor. (laughs) You know, that's... It's confidential, those stuff. It's, it's confidential. That's right. <laughs> oh, the, um, the poor, the poor initial guys that they sent out there with what amounted to his little tasers, you know, little sparkler things, going after the fifty-foot animal. It's like, oh god, they're like red shirt security for a damn Star Trek <laughs> movie. <laughs> we have the perfect weapons with which to irritate the beast the size of a dump truck. <laughs> it will really annoy the living shit out of this dinosaur. It's going to be lasers you can shine in its eyes, and then this is a toothache ray. Good luck. <laughs> so I'm going to go after a. Do we have to be the first wave? Can it be the second wave? They get thirty more seconds on screen. <laughs> but they were perfect disposable males. They didn't even think twice. They're like, "Yep, this is a great idea." Like, 
50 foot Tyrannosaurus Rex looking creature, and they're just like, yep, I'm fine with the taser. I'm fine. Now you couldn't you even knock see over this an video, elephant. But, but, but here's a hint for everyone who's in an action movie. This is a hint. You can't see this on the video, right? When a guy does this, which is me lifting my hand, you know, in that closed fist, stop, everyone. I found something important. When a run! guy does that, <laughs> run! <laughs> Nothing also, good is going to follow that. If blood is dripping on the guy from the treetop, that's another indication. Run! Save your sperm. There are no eggs in the dinosaur belly that you can do anything with. Save run. But uh, yeah, no. Oh God, it's like the um, uh, the the guy in um, San Andreas when the Hoover Dam is collapsing. I'm gonna save this child and and this little girl. He carries her and then you know the the thing cracks and he throws her and the staring and he's about to die and he says to the little girl, "Close your eyes, honey." <laughs> well, I'm about to die. But I wouldn't want it to be upsetting to you. It's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I mean, this this programming of disposability is just everywhere. And people are going to try and get men to reawaken this disposability by screaming man up and, and do something in your life for once or step up or be there or you left her behind. And again, you know, I strongly advise men. It's like, nope, still waiting for that apology. <laughs> still waiting for that apology for every sitcom since 1968. Still waiting for that apology for the family court system and a lot of women not giving a shit about it, uh, despite the fact that it grinds up men like uh, a man's uh, both testicles uh, in a, uh, a sausage maker. And uh, still still waiting for that apology for uh, you know unjust prison sentences. Still waiting for that apology for schools that are unfriendly to boys. Still waiting for that apology for boys getting massive amounts of psychotropics injected into their brain because girly school drives them insane. Still waiting for all that. You know, once we can talk about that, maybe we'll lift a finger to save your sorry asses. But not until then. That would at least be my particular perspective. Unless you have read Because without the apology, it's just going to go in a goddamn circle again. Sorry, Mike. Go ahead. As, as I was gonna say, unless you have red hair and are pretty, then whatever you want. <laughs> but, that that is um, Opie's kid, right? I, I don't know. That's a oh yeah, Bryce Dallas Howard. I guess I guess it would be. I, I think that's Ron Howard's uh, Ron Howard's kid. Huh, I think she stole his red hair. In fact, because he didn't have an access of it these days. <laughs> Speaking of uh, general stereotypes, I, I, I have to mention the Haskins character, played by Vincent D'Onofrio, who I'm I'm a big fan of. Just stereo stereotypical evil capitalist military guy just down to the letter like now well, no I, I, I recognize that guy i recognize that guy but where, where is he from i believe he's on csi that's that's reporting from my wife so i he I was like the, the tough CSI. guy with the terrifying story about the wolf who bit his wife's arm when she was about to stab him with a knife i don't know i don't know no, no, this uh, was in the movie. Uh, it, it's the guy who wanted to use the raptors as, as weapons? Yeah. Okay. I don't yeah, remember. So the, remember, the, I don't the remember he's got this story where he says, uh, you know, I had a, I had a wolf, uh, and that wolf, uh, my wife was going to stab me, and the wolf took a chunk of her arm out, and he's got oh, this whole okay. story. And, oh, and did you put the wolf down? It's like, nope. <laughs> we got a special bond of protection <laughs> against women. Yeah, um, I completely forgot that, that story from yeah, the movie. Yeah, that was quite but, a uh, yeah <laughs> yeah but uh, i love how you know just let's just use the raptors this hasn't been tested we have no no way of knowing if this will work at all millions and millions of dollars and 
tens of thousands of lives hanging in the balance. Come on, let's use the Raptors. Come on, let's use the Raptors. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, God. I uh, I find that you know let's let's draft the uh, dinosaurs to be a particularly compelling storyline. The way I heard it was, let's use the Raptors because we're going to need a sequel with <laughs> with dinosaur armies. That's next. So, so we have, that was we have an, a dinosaur out of containment and causing trouble. What we need to do is unleash more dinosaurs. That's not going to cause any problems whatsoever. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, but there was, a part, of, yeah, there was a part of me that when, when that guy was looking at the whole park, when the, I don't know, they were like flesh-eating pterodactyls or some <laughs> weird mutant thing that was floating down and, and biting people up. But uh, when he was sort of looking at that, I, I got a strong sense that, he didn't give a shit about anything other than watching the world burn. Like he just mm. was a real nihilist and a, a real uh, had a really murderous spirit. And he just wanted to look out at that park and see the happily families, happy families being being torn apart by sky demons with bat wings and so on. Right. I mean, I think that was the world he wanted to create. Everything else just, was just an excuse for that, which I think has a lot to do with some of the military mindset. So mm. it's also interesting too the the idea of using raptors. <laughs> raptors as military technology because drones can be hacked. This was the explanation behind why they are researching raptors for military usage. Drones can be hacked, you see, but raptors, like, that's you don't even need an argument. You just say raptors because that, that's going to go well. well. I'm sure you unleash some raptors in the Middle East and terrorism will just end immediately. That's, that's Well, yeah, because, I mean, according to every single Jurassic Park movie, <laughs> the dinosaurs hack themselves. You know, it's like, <laughs> I can evade infrared. I can rip things out of my back. I can breed even though we're all females like they just oh yeah because they don't <laughs> hack themselves right <laughs> by oh. the way did you know this is just a complete by the by did you know mike that um you know the federal government just had like millions of its employees records hacked and stolen yeah do you know how they found out about that? They're claiming, well, in a routine security sweep, we found it. <laughs> Not true at all. Uh, it was a, a, a third-party software vendor, vendor that was giving a demo of some security software, and they said, oh, actually, we just found a giant piece of malware in your entire system that's been there for over a year. <laughs> um, so it was not even the government didn't even find out about this. It was just uh, some guys, you want to buy our software now? It's security-based. <laughs> oh, God. But yeah, I just wanted to mention that. Okay. So, yeah, I think I think it's worth seeing. I think that it's um, look at the male and female roles. And um, I think the, the the idea of control as well, uh, I, I think, is interesting. Uh, the, 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 the Indian guy who's in charge, he says that um, uh, life is most enjoyable when you give up the idea that you're in control. I, I don't really want to hear that from my helicopter pilot. I just that's my... <laughs> My first instinct is, you're not selling yourself to me enormously as my helicopter pilot. Look, I'm blindfolded. I mean, that's just not what you want to have from your from your pilot. But I just like this idea of being in control versus not being in control. Because, you know, we have this idea that, that politics and government and um, taxes and borrowing and bonds, and it all puts us in control. You know, we're going to control the interest rates. We're going to control the amount of money that's printed. We're going to control the bond prices. We're going to control this. And the reality is that, of course, it makes us wildly out of control. I do like this idea, this argument, that the more you try to control things, the more dangerous things get. Because, mm. you know, as a voluntarist, I would like to see all vi hierarchical, violent systems of control 
uh, not part of the planetary mindset or, or system. So I really do, I like this idea coming out that it is the attempt to control and manipulate things that leads to chaos and destruction, right? Because the guy says something interesting. He says, well, I like to think that they're a balanced ecosystem because otherwise it leads to anarchy, right? And they weren't creating a balanced ecosystem. They were tinkering and controlling. It's like the central planning of life itself leads to the deaths of thousands. Great point. There's another aspect here, Steph, that uh, I'd like to hear your commentary on, and that's the sibling relationship between uh, Gray and Zach, the younger brother, older brother dynamic, which uh, we've kind of talked about privately a bit, but I was curious your comments on it as it relates to the movie. You mean older brothers being like emotionless douchebags? (laughs) Something like that. What you're saying? Okay. Well, first of all, there was a moment of spectacularly bad acting that I would have tried to fix with a CGI or an African mask or pixelation or something. And I, I just saw it very, it's like a tiny, tiny. So they're running away after they get out of their hamster ball and they're running away and they're at the, t- they turn around and they're at the top of this waterfall and the giant monster is, is chasing them. And I swear to God, the older actor was like stifling a yawn. I mean, I don't know what take it was. <laughs> Maybe they've been filming for like 24 hours and they're right back to noon again. But he was like, oh, well, I guess ahead of me is a 100-foot plunge to my death and behind me is a giant man-eating monster. <laughs> <laughs> There's lots of things you'd be doing in that situation other than yawning, like crapping yourself Maybe. immediately. Boredom. Maybe boredom tastes bad and that will save me. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, there was just that one moment. I don't know if I'll ever watch it again, but if I will, I'll freeze frame it on that because he was just like taking that sleepy thing just a little bit too far. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the enthusiastic younger brother and the cynical, jaded, empty headed uh, older brother is um, it, it kind of a cliche. And um, I thought that. Uh, the question of danger also normalizes the relationships between the brothers too, right? It, it, mm. it makes it healthier because when they're not in a situation of danger, the older brother is just a complete, like I was looking at that thinking, man, if I ever got to go to a dinosaur island, like I would not sleep the whole, I, 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 I'm so excited. I mean, how cool is that, right? And this kid is just slouching his Nirvana style way through the grunge boredom of his everyday existence with the occasional showing of his penis <laughs> pointing at random women. Uh, and you know, they so I commented that- on that um, a couple of times. They're like, oh, we need a new attraction every couple of years because otherwise attendance to Jurassic Park will fail. And it's like, you know, people still go to Disney to ride Space Mountain after God knows how many years. The idea of dinosaurs, seeing them live, the dinosaur petting zoo, I don't know. I think it would have a bit of staying power past a couple of years. Ah, we're sick of this T-Rex nonsense already. But... <laughs> Yeah, I want lasers in the eyeball. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, I but that they had to sort of some explanation as to why. But that, of course, is a sign of decadence as well of a failing society that you need more and more and more stimulation to uh, to get the same effect. That's a sign of emptiness and addiction. Mm -hmm. And the of course his family was dysfunctional in that the parents were were snappy at each other, and the kid basically lived in his headphones. The whole time. And, you know, if, if we're going for a drive as a family, I mean, nobody in the car in my family wears headphones because we're chatting with each other. Like, it's just not right. So the, the, the older kid is, is in a dysfunctional family structure that, that no one's talked about, that no one's discussing. And so everything's repressed and, and kept down. 
And so he's been exposed to the dysfunction. I don't know, what was he, like 14? And the younger kid was like eight or nine. So it's quite a, an age difference. So he's had like more than half a decade of additional exposure to the parents' dysfunction and, and sniping and snappiness and lack of communication. And he's, he's, he's going MGTOW. And I don't mean to keep beating that, that same horse, but uh, the kid was, you know, cynical and, and disengaged and, uh, you know, obviously didn't seem to be enthusiastic about anything around him, never talked about his future, all everyone wanted to do, you know, just had, you know, random boner sprays in various estrogen <laughs> directions. And uh, that was about it. The only thing that motivated him was sex, it would seem, right? But then when they're in a situation of true danger, right, when they were in a situation of emotional danger, like parents are getting divorced, he, he was like cold and cruel and, and minimized mean. And he said, it initially with and minimized it yeah. and, and said, you know, you, you, you just you got to grow up, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I mean, I heard that when I was a kid. Oh, you just got to you got to grow up. You know, happiness is for children. You got to grow up and be really, really miserable. You got to grow up and turn your heart into a vampire stone. You got to grow up and kill any remaining sense of joy, adventure, spontaneity, happiness, curiosity. You got to take that out back with a machete and cut its damn head off because that's called growing up. And then you get these Peter Pan fantasies like, is there any option, any any road off the growing up thing? Because growing up looks like a massive bag of porcupines being tied to my nuts if I get thrown off a cliff. So he was really cold and cruel and mean when it was merely emotional dangers and difficulties that were facing them. However, with raptors, you know, he turned into a weirdly non-comforting nice guy. Mm. So, you know, although like he when did the manufacture are, the situation in which they did get into trouble with their hamster ball amongst the triceratops uh, uh, drive that they took off track and uh, went through a gaping hole in a fence that had like dinosaur ish claw marks. That's a great idea. Let's do that. But I, I saw that I saw that as suicidality that came out of his cruelty to his brother and the, the, the imminent divorce of his parents. Mm Right, because right after, right after the scene in the in the monorail where they're talking about divorce, he completely brushes it off like it's nothing, and next thing you know, he's taking them into a pretty suicidal environment. And that, to me, is like you don't process your grief, you will end up self-destructive. And particularly if you're cruel to the vulnerable who are expressing their grief, next thing you'll do is is some sort of self-destructive Darwin Award suicidal action. So that, to me, seemed to kind of follow from the rejection of his own emotions and his resulting cruelty towards his brother's own vulnerability. Uh, but then when it came to like, I don't know, I mean, so they're in the back of the van and the raptors keep trying to eat them, right? Mm-hmm. And he's like, <laughs> I hate to say this without laughing because it's a serious moment in the movie, but <laughs> the older brother's like, hey, I protected you from that ghost, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> it's like, did the ghost have teeth? Did the ghost put its head through the window of a car? Did like, it was a ghost, you know? I mean, I just I just found that was sort of weird. Like I could say, hey, remember that giant dog? You know, I I pushed it back with a garbage can or something. But it's like, you made me a magical battle axe out of papier mache and fairy dust. <laughs> And a paper against plate ghost in the garage. So you'll be fine with the raptors. And it's just like, what? How is that even remotely comforting? Least reassuring you just a older brother ever. To me yesterday about our parents getting divorced. And now you're claiming I'm okay because you can protect me from ghosts. What? 
I, t- I thought the little kid was going to be like, what the hell are you talking about ghosts for? <laughs> Raptors almost took off her aunt's arm. But no, it's like, oh, I guess you can protect me from ghosts, so the raptor should be easy. That kind of leads into the thought I had. Other than um, the younger brother and um, Chris Pratt's character, I thought just about every other character in the movie was thoroughly unlikable. Like, almost from the start. The parents were bickering at the start of the movie and being kind of overly dramatic as the kids went off on the airplane ride. The older brother was emotionally detached, was being a dick to his younger brother. The younger brother was incredibly enthusiastic and getting crapped on constantly. You had Claire, who paid more attention to business than seeing her nephews for the first time in seven years. And Oh, you know, and the British nanny. Oh, the, the British assistant who ended up getting... Oh, who was completely like, in ...within getting yeah. eaten. And uh, she, she was, was like... enjoyable. <laughs> Well, well. First, first of all, when a fourteen-year-old girl sees an incredibly hot woman, he's really dismissive towards her, <laughs> right? I mean, that's a good point. Look, there's a really hot woman who's really taking care of us and is really interested in us and has to stick by us. Let's run away from her," said no fourteen-year-old ever. But um, uh, so I thought that was kind of um, ridiculous. But yeah, the characters were unlikable. But uh, Mike, let me ask you a general question: of the people that you've met in your life. As a whole, <laughs> you know, how many of them would I want? zoom out? Big picture by dinosaurs. Is that what you're going to ask me? <laughs> I think that may be a bit stronger <laughs> than the, but the fact. The fact that you would frame it that way tells me quite a bit. <laughs> Eaten slowly by dinosaurs and still alive when they were digested. The question is not who, but what dinosaur to choose. The raptor, the T-Rex, the Indominus Rex? It's really a tough call between the three. But no. <laughs> First they get eaten by the raptor. Then the raptor gets eaten. Then the dinosaur. <laughs> right. So as far as, you know, likable people in the known universe, like people that you really like, I, I would not say that... The world is overflowing with likable people. And, and I don't think there's that, – that to me is not surprising. It's got nothing to do with human nature. And again, it's just the government firing cannonfuls of borrowed money at everyone makes everyone think that they're this kind of island and can just – they don't have to be nice to other people. They don't have to build up a community. They don't have to give and take and share and all that kind of stuff. You know, we can just be isolated, selfish dickwads because – Fiat currency. And, and that sounds like a stretch, but it's really very, very fundamental. Communities exist to protect us from the vagaries of life. If the government protects us from the vagaries of life, we don't need each other. Yep. And so uh, this movie was about, okay, when you can't be protected by some external thing, you have to rely on each other. You have to connect with each other. You have to find the value in each other. And the kids saw that very clearly. A great moment, a great moment in the movie where the kids are in the back seat and Claire and Owen are in the front seat. And they say, We want to come with you. And mm. Claire turns around and says, Don't worry, I am never ever gonna leave you alone. And they're like, No, 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 him, 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 <laughs> him. He's the guy, but you, we don't care. Him. We want to stay with him. And that is like, okay, so now. Men have value because at the beginning, you see the man, uh, the, the beginning that their actual parents at the scene at the airport, the man says something. I don't even know. I couldn't even hear what it was. And the woman is like, hey, why do you got to say things like that? Right. Right. Just mm-hmm. snick, snippy and bitchy and all that. And then the woman 
when she goes out and is asking the guy for a favor, is like, oh, who shows up for a date in cargo pants? I mean, good heavens, <laughs> right? I mean, and he's like, it's Central America. It's like hot, <laughs> you know, like sensible, be comfortable, right? And so the women can afford to be snippy and bitchy at the men until danger. Until there's danger. And then, without apology, they flip over <laughs> to the <laughs> alternate Fay Ray damsel in distress mode. And with no request, no apology for prior behavior, because now it's an emergency and save the eggs. Right. And, and so this is that. But the kids got it. They're like, I don't care about your protestations. This guy knows what he's doing. We're going to stick with him. And that is society when the lie of fiat currency and the infinite debt and, hey, everything's free. <laughs> I mean, when that lie comes to an end, there's going to be some pretty significant limitations, at least for a certain amount of time. And boy, I think, men, we're going to be back in demand. <laughs> but not till the apology comes. The drive towards competence and competent people is going to be huge during that time. Everyone's going to be looking for their Chris Pratt. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, uh, again, everybody's going to want to pretend like, okay, I didn't just insult you guys horrifically for uh, 50 years, throw you in jail, send you off to wars, drag you through family courts, strip all of your assets, uh, accuse you of sexual assault and divorce allegations, uh, falsely accuse you of rape, claim that you're all patriarchal rapists. Let's just pretend that never happened. Now, if you could just help me with my egg guarding, that'd be great. <laughs> Don't do it, men. Don't do it until the apology comes, which means that there will be some capacity for change in the future. Don't do it. Don't let it happen. Just because other people are willing to ignore reality doesn't mean that we have to. Well put. And I, I totally understand from a big picture standpoint. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of incredibly likable people in the world. But I got to tell you, on the silver screen, I I kind of would like to watch a movie with some people that uh, I'm not rooting against. You know, it's like... <laughs> when the dinosaur that's uh, you know mauling everything in its path is like the third most likable creature in the entire film, <laughs> you know there's a bit of a problem. <laughs> but yeah, Chris right. Pratt's character and then Gray, the younger brother. I mean, those those were the only two uh, human characters that really you could like from a third person standpoint. Everyone else was either so incompetent that I mean you just were almost rooting for their failure. Uh, incompetence and confidence no from the woman. But where was where was the thank you? I, I didn't get that either at the end of the movie. Thank you for saving a quarter of my gene pool with these nephews. I mean, where where the person that uh, you know was pretty high up in that organization too, in charge of the park, that didn't think it was warranted to you know have double gates on uh, exit pens for the T Rex, which we saw, and Indominus Rex. You know, just. Probably not a good idea to just have pens that open up into the pavilion area where the <laughs> the tourists are going to be just immediately. Right. You know, you, you might want to take the precautions that they have in like in um, the typical bird exhibits when you go to a store. Oh, got to have got to have double gates. Two nets. You don't yeah. want like, you know, a sparrow to friggin get out of the, the first cage and fly out into the world. No, so we got to have double gates. But the T-Rex, ah, just, you know, just wing it. One gate's enough. That's fine. No problem. <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt your thought, but I also was a bit surprised that, I mean, 
open the Tyrannosaurus gate. And it's like the guy just pushes it. I mean, you Wouldn't put your coffee like down the in the wrong place. For Christ's sake. Yeah, I mean, isn't there, like, put a, put a lid on the button. For God's sake, something, anything. Bob I mean, let out the T-Rex You up against again. that button and suddenly you've got, like, giant man-eaters rampaging through your park, you know? It's like, can't there be two buttons you have to push, at least more than an arm's width apart, some keys you have to turn? I mean, it is the release of the most magnificent and dangerous land predator the world has ever seen. Maybe just not like, uh, oh, I held in a sneeze, and oh, damn, <laughs> released the Tyrannosaurus Rex. That just seems kind of strange like to me. put in a password. <laughs> just, yeah, no password. No password at all. Hold down the button. And this is the guy that had uh, had little dinosaur figurines and a big Slurpee cup on his desk, and they were making fun of him, and the cup fell over, and it's just portrayed to be kind of vaguely incompetent and socially awkward. And uh, yeah, don't want one of the little dinosaur figurines to fall over and release the quote-unquote T-Rex. <laughs> Can I also mention that the bit where he's basically sassing the beautiful, icy boss of the entire place? I've not seen a lot of nerds actually do that kind of stuff. <laughs> I was waiting. Like, she turned to him, and I was just expecting her to say, collect your things and leave. But uh, she didn't do that, surprisingly, which is how it pr- yeah, probably that, go that in the just real didn't world. Seem, yeah, that, that, that didn't seem believable to me at all. But, you know, what the hell? I mean, you know, the, the no disaster movie is complete without a generous side helping of I told you so that nobody ever says. <laughs> right. Nobody ever says. But, um, yeah, I, I think it's well worth watching. I mean, the technology, of course, is is staggering. You know, again, like you, I'd wish they'd shaved, you know, say one percent off the CGI budget and paid a writer to write things a little better. But and I think if, if the writing had been um like really tight and really focused on the issues that were only teased at, uh, the movie could have had like truly Old Testament biblical power uh, behind it. Oh, until you uh, mentioned but, uh, the, the general overall narrative, which hasn't even, it didn't even dawn on me, um, starting off with eggs and ending up with everyone coming together. The divorce thing just seemed just completely plopped in there for no reason. I, I didn't get, I was like, what the hell's with this divorce thing just out of nowhere? It's like, okay, divorce and now dinosaur fight. Well, where'd that come from? But yeah, that if that's what they were going for, that probably not probably that could have been teased out a whole lot more to make it more uh, easily understandable for the general audience. Because oh, I miss God, if, if yeah, if gender issues had really been pushed front and center, I mean, that was the incredible thing about Fight Club. You know, mm-hmm. like the 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 line that where the guy says, uh, you know, we're a generation of men raised by women. I, I don't think another woman is what we need. Uh, that like just even saying we're a generation of men raised by women. Mm-hmm. Like gave me goosebumps because it's like, yes, and and this guy saying all my friends' parents are divorced, so gender need, and at the end saying we have to cling together to survive. Say the two single men and women, and the family comes together and is not going to get divorced probably because of the danger to the kids. That community grows out of our need for each other. And when the government steps in and fires all these resources at everyone and covers up all their mistakes and, and pays for all of their screw-ups, we don't need each other. And then we can live these lives of frivolous and empty selfishness and get divorced and, and live in the middle of nowhere and, and you know, wear white on a muddy theme park <laughs> island, right? We can do all of this stupid, selfish stuff, but government and excess resources has so thoroughly destroyed our need for each other that we can be as cold and mean to to anyone we choose because we don't need a community anymore. And I I really, I think if they'd really focused on that and focused on the difference between 
pretending you're in control when you don't need people and then when you're out of control and you do need people uh, and that this has very powerful ramifications for gender roles, for families, for marriage, for divorce, for children. Uh, if they'd really, I'm not saying make it blindingly obvious to everyone, but if they'd hit that gas a little more, I think they might have gone from a summer blockbuster to a true classic. Uh, now, of course, these opportunities are generally missed, but uh, it's still frustrating to <laughs> to see it sometimes. One more thing, Seth, that I think um, I'd be curious your thoughts on. I've seen some other people online kind of allude to it, but kind of the environment versus mankind underpinnings of these types of stories. I didn't pick up on a ton with this one, but I was curious if you had any thoughts from an environmentalist standpoint with this kind of movie. Oh, um, do you mean like sort of environmental protections and, and well, sustainability? Well, nature versus, you know, these evil human beings trying to control nature, trying to manipulate nature. Well, my, again, I try, I try not to be overly prejudiced by ideology, but I can't help but escape the notion that the state is an ancient institution that has of late become ridiculously exaggerated in its characteristics. Because the state used to be limited by um, rebellions. It used to be limited by a lack of money when there was a gold standard. Uh, it used to be limited by a lack of communication, like in the extended Roman Empire. Uh, it used to be limited by people were able to ignore the state. There were places to go. There was no grid to get off in particular. So the state used to be limited, but as a result of you know fiat currency and the vestiges of the free market creating all this wealth that can be used as collateral to borrow, the, the bribery of the population and so on, the idea that we there is this um, this 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 giant mutant monster has been created that is supposed to generate revenue that is supposed to uh, make everything better that is supposed to be beneficial to this ecosystem of of money uh, and uh, tourism and so on this this giant monster has been created that is supposed to be beneficial but it breaks free and terrorizes the population uh, this goes uh, uh, all the way back to some of my uh, uh, earlier videos. Uh, in particular, Statism is Dead, uh, part three, wherein I talked about that we create the state that is supposed to serve us, and then it ends up dominating us, and in the long run, poses significant dangers to the remnants of human civility and civilization. So I view uh, this this um, this creation of this this monster, this ancient but now significantly enhanced monster to be, uh, you know, the, the spread from sort of the, the, the journey from limited democracy, some limited uh, republic, uh, republic, heavily limited democracy, a republic bound by the constitution and the bill of rights and the rule of law, to now this government that can pretty much do whatever it wants. And there's no possibility of being able to uh, resist it. And that's been common throughout dinosaur movies that uh, our puny little weapons, you know, just never do any good. Sparklers and these, tasers. <laughs> yeah, ever escalating monstrous. And um, uh, and so, yeah, the idea that we've created this, this that we've recreated and enhanced this ancient monster uh, that is supposed to be beneficial to us and then ends up terrorizing us. Well, that to me is, well, let's just give more and more power to the state because benefit. Uh, and then it ends up terrorizing us and threatening civilization itself. That would be sort of my approach. I didn't, I don't think like you, I didn't see a whole lot of environmentalism, uh, because they were very explicit. Uh, as the geneticist, the Japanese guy said, nothing here is natural. Mm -hmm. 
nothing, everything here is 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 man-made. We splice in a different DNA uh, all the time. Hey, well, well, they said they got the cuttlefish, right? They got the cuttlefish gene there. <laughs> Your favorite animal. <laughs> my favorite animal. It explains a huge amount. And just, just for those who don't know, my cuttlefish fetish uh, is pretty significant uh, in that there's... Um, a cuttlefish have this incredible ability to to change not just color but um, patterns. Like you put them on a chessboard and they get checkerboards, and this is incredibly genetically uh, evolved control over various aspects of their skin technology, so to speak. And um, the way that cuttlefish mate is the male cuttlefish put on these iridescent displays, like these scrolling marquees of stock prices and <laughs> crazy shit like that, and the, the females then mate with the males who put on the best display, thus ensuring that those who have the most control over their camouflaging pass those genes along. But there's another kind of cuddle because the male cuttlefish have long long, uh, legs and the female cuttlefish have short uh, legs. And so while these males are all up there fighting and putting on these massive displays and consuming all this energy to try and attract a female, uh, some of the male cuttlefish pull their legs in and swim underneath, pretending to be females, and then mate with the... uh, (laughs) With the uh, female cuttlefish. Hey, cuttlefish, no means no. No means no, cuttlefish. What are you doing? Stop it. (laughs) I love my gay cuttlefish. Hey, what's that? (laughs) Cuttlefish surprise. It's it's right. That's right. Well, girlfriend, what I really wanted to say is come here. (laughs) But um, uh, it's just a wonderfully wonderfully creative adaptation to a mating display that, you know, may or may not have relevant things, things to say about human beings as a whole. But weren't they supposed to this this giant dinosaur? Wasn't it supposed to change color? I mean, I I don't did I miss that? Uh, there was something that they spliced in, which explained it being able to uh, evade the infrared. I think it was infrared technology in the pen to begin with. I thought that was the frog thing because they did the frog and the cuttlefish. Yeah. The frog thing I thought was anyway because they said all oh, the cuttlefish, you know, for some reason or another. But I thought because I thought it'd be really cool if it changed like if it camouflaged, I mean, I would would have been happy if it turned purple and started singing children's songs on daytime programming, but I wasn't expecting that. (laughs) That's right. That's why in, in Barney, the dinosaur, the TV show, they didn't have a lot of overweight security guards and cars (laughs) because, you know, when those big fuzzy dinosaur genes take over, it's not good to be a cameraman. (laughs) I love you. (laughs) With some skew. Yeah. So, no, I didn't get a lot of environmental stuff other than, you know, the usual tinkering with nature is yeah. bad, which I think is kind of funny, you know, like, uh, um, it, it, you know, a, a giant spectacle that gets out of control is a metaphor for the movie as a whole. Technology is bad when they're using massive amounts of technology to make the movie. Uh, I don't know. I just think it's kind of uh, uh, that that's the usual tr- tripe and trope. And, and tapping into the general employee's resentment towards bosses is mm. usually pretty common as well like oh, this boss is mean you see a lot of that kind of stuff but no i didn't uh, other than i think that the uh indominus rex rex of course is king is king as you know right mm-hmm. so uh, uh unquenchable or or unbeatable king well that of course is uh, uh the modern state and and all of its powers and controls and and uh, uh infiltration and communication eavesdropping technologies and weapons of mass destruction you know indominus rex well that's the name for the modern state so again i'm not saying that's something that they really wanted to get across <laughs> if i were the writer which is why i wasn't the writer uh, i would have worked some more of that stuff in you know maybe given uh, uh given the dinosaur a, a teleprompter and a slow like 
lazy tone and way of speaking and have the dinosaur promise free humans to anyone who would vote for him uh, and so on. That, that would be, you know, obviously something that would take a little while to work in from a logic standpoint, but I'm sure I could do it. I now wait the YouTube comment saying that you said Indominus Rex is Obama and somehow this is racist. I'm, I'm waiting for the YouTube comment. Oh, man. Did you hear about this woman who, uh, she's a, um, she's high up in the NAACP and she's also a professor of black studies and uh, apparently she's white. She's just been passing herself off as black for quite some time. Her parents say that she's white, and there's photos of her as a young child very clearly being white. And uh, yes, she has. She's been claiming to be black all these years. So she does get paid from the NAACP, and she gets paid as a black studies professor. The challenge, of course, is that she spends most of that money on the amount of electricity it takes to turn white hair into that god-awful Van de Graaff shock frizz she calls a hairdo. But that's uh, another. And her answer is, are you African-American? It's like... We all come from Africa, except Obama. He comes from Hawaii. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, it's wild. I mean, it, it's just another one of these short circuits that the left is going to have to face, which is, oh, wait. So Bruce Jenner says, I'm a woman, and now he's a woman. This woman says she's black, but she's not. Wait, I thought race was a social construct. I'm a cuttlefish. Watch me. Bang white. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Entertain I'm me a with fish. I want to forever. swim. I get gills from willpower. Anyway, <laughs> ideology meeting reality. Always a pleasure to watch. Well, that's it for me. Is there anything else you wanted to add to, uh, about the movie? No, that's about it for me. Thumbs up. I mean, CGI dinosaur battles. I mean, God, CGI has gotten so good these days that, uh, you know, before maybe five years ago, ten years ago, it's like, wow, this this looks impressive, but it's kind of off. I, but watching this in IMAX 3D, it's like, holy crap, dinosaurs are fighting in front of me. This is kind of cool. And if I was 10, I would be really freaking out right now with excitement. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, I, uh, the, the technology of like the 3D and the IMAX, and look, if you can afford it, it's worth springing for the extra bit. Um, but it's it's so immersive. I actually feel like I cease to exist while watching it. Mm. Like, I feel like I have no identity. I'm simply a giant vat of input stimuli. You know, like, I, I, I'm not thinking about pets I used to have. I'm not thinking, do I need to pee? Like, at the end of the movie, I'm like, damn, I got to pee. <laughs> I didn't notice the whole way through. Like, I remember when I went to see Titanic, I had to pee. And, of course, the whole last third of that film was sloshing water this and sloshing water oh. that. But this movie, I'm like, I, I, I probably could have had a seizure or had my hand turn into a cobra and attack me. And it would have been like... I don't didn't notice a damn thing because I was so absorbed by this spectacle. And well, imagine so imagine how bad it is for me. You've talked to me before about getting the gallon sized diet coke for the <laughs> going into theater. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I just basically I just want to I basically want them to build a toilet seat into the <laughs> into the uh, theater seat at the moment because uh, yeah, I basically have just become this giant flow through mechanism. I've I've turned into one of those you know those. The ads they used to have on a TV, you swallow this pill and just this tube going straight down your body. Like there's no intestines, no stomach, no, no loops, no loop-de-loops. I've turned into that. It's like, I've drunk something. Okay, got to pee. <laughs> so, yeah, I made a head. Made, 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 uh, did not bring a drink in. That was the key. But, yeah, I had to go at the end. And I was like, how come I didn't notice that? You know, <laughs> I mean, because I've just become this giant parabolic mirror of space Hubble telescope infinity watching 
circuits of infinite media absorption and have no actual identity. It's probably the closest thing I'll come to Nirvana. I'm not sure Nirvana is supposed to involve fighting dinosaurs, but I think for me it does. So, well, thanks, Mike. <laughs> Great well, I will say and, this uh, too. A good general rule for seeing movies like this, for me at least, is anything that a certain number of man hours have gone into, I just think you almost have to see just for the relevance of it. You know, like a movie yeah, like this, you, with you this amount of CGI over the course of two hours, I mean, it strikes me the same as what Avatar was. Just like something with that amount of work that went into it, just it's worth seeing for what humans have spent that much time working on to try and make something cool. You know, whether it winds up being a positive finished product or not compared to what they were looking to do, it's still worth checking out. So. Yeah, it's like the guy who says, you know, I've spent four days on this chalk art. It's like, okay, I'll just go see it because... <laughs> Although I, I would have actually preferred the movie had there been four and a half seconds of claymation in the middle of the dinosaur fight, you know, with I just think that would have been delightful. But again, that's right. Nobody puts me in charge of making a movie. Hand puppets. But, um, I'm sorry? Hand puppets. <laughs> Hand puppets. No, just, you know, claymation right in the middle and then go back to dun dun dun. But claymation with like uh, rinky dink music too, and then go back to the dun dun. But. Um, no, it's uh, you're right. I mean, you know, you can imagine how many parents working on this movie did not see their kids for like two years. And so, you know, just to make the kids loneliness <laughs> palatable, you know, to at least go see the movie. So although I guess they've you could say that's this thing for over more. a decade, too. So it's uh, they've what they've been trying to make this thing for over a decade and it got stuck in like developmental hell with, uh, you know, stuff. Well, plus Chris Pratt would have been pretty, pretty young. Right. <laughs> Plus, the little kid would have been like a sperm. And, and watching a dinosaur chase a sperm and an egg would probably not be quite as gripping. Although, of course, everyone would throw themselves on the egg like a grenade to make sure it didn't get eaten. But anyway. Okay, good to know. You're describing my um, from last night. No. <laughs> yeah, let, us, uh, let us know what you think of the movie. And, uh, yeah, I would, I would definitely recommend uh, giving it uh, a look-see. It's, uh, it's worth it. And, again, you know, I, zeitgeist and all that, it's worth thinking, understanding where, where people are and uh, comparing it to previous movies. I think we've got some real change in the air, and we can be happy about that. All right. Thanks, Steph. Thanks. Take care.